This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Thomas from bentoandco.com explained how he partners with YouTubers and bloggers to drive traffic and sales to his store. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that uses Facebook posts to get feedback from her customers without them ever knowing. In this episode, you'll learn how to balance what you want versus what your customers want, how to get valuable feedback and data out of social media, and how to sell a product that requires the sense of smell online. Today, I'm joined by May Pak from tinyhandsonline.com. Tiny Hands sells super cute scented jewelry and food jewelry that makes you and your loved ones smile. And was started in 2006 and based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, May. Hey, Felix. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to just talk about business, yeah. talk shop. No, no, for, for sure. I'm really excited to talk to you too. I think your store, I think your product's really cool. I've never seen anything like this before. So why don't we get started with that? Uh, you know, Tell us a little bit more about your store and what are, I know you sell a bunch of kind of different uh, products here, but what are some of the most popular ones? Um, I think the best seller is, well, I don't think it's definitely the best seller is my maple syrup waffle necklace, which was uh, worn by Leslie Nope, or otherwise known her character Amy. Po- Wait, no, I'm sorry, Amy Poehler. <laughs> her name is Amy Poehler, but her character is Leslie Nope in the TV show Parks and Recreation. Uh, so that's definitely up to this date is still the number one bestseller. Very cool. So yeah, can, yeah so tell us a little more about the I guess the um, the the type because it's not just any type of jewelry. This is I guess a very um, I've never seen this before. I mean, I also don't know much about jewelry, but I feel like I've never seen this kind of jewelry before. So tell us a little bit more about the style of jewelry that you create. Sure. Yeah. So everything is modeled after food. So everything's like miniature food jewelry. So I make a, an assortment of baked goods and sweet treats. And I have a small collection of the salty, savory stuff too, like pizzas and bacon and fried egg. And so nice. everything is normally under one inch in size. And what's really special about them is I add fragrance oils to what they're, they're actually made out of polymer clay. So I add fragrance oils to them that match what they look like. So for example, the waffle necklace I just mentioned, it has a maple syrup scent. It's one of my favorite scents. It smells so realistic. So that's something that I really take the time to make sure that I source fragrance oils that actually smell like the real thing. And um, yeah, so everything is handmade and hand sculpted here in Minneapolis. I work with two production assistants uh, that I trained up from scratch, found them on Craigslist and I they had no sculpting prior polymer clay experience at all so uh, that was definitely uh, an adventure for sure uh, but that's kind of um, what it is in, the, in, in, the, in general did you want me to go any deeper into like my history? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. But let's uh, let's start with um, you know, let's start with the history. Like, how did you get into this? Like, how did you were you were you in the I guess jewelry industry previously? Or how did you I guess not sort of stumble into this particular niche? But like, how did you uh, get involved in this kind of a uh, category? 
Yeah, so I started, as you mentioned, I started Tiny Hands in 2006, and back then I was still in high school. And obviously when you're, I don't, don't want to give away my age, but I feel like I already have. Okay, so I'll just say it. But when I was 15, I started Tiny Hands, and I, you know, when you're 15, you don't, you're just a kid. You don't know anything. You don't know how to do marketing, and you don't know what it takes to start a business and all the branding stuff that goes behind it. So when I had started, it was truly just, a, I think, a pure your passion it was out of ho- uh, as it was just fun you know it was a hobby and when i started the tiny hands brand that was actually how everything started i created the tiny hands brand but i was selling all sorts of different things under that tiny hands brand some jewelry some i was making hand bound journals and just you know whatever i made i sold under that name and so it wasn't until I was inspired, I think it was on Live Journal and Deviant Art, where I saw there was this other artist that was making little tiny sculptures out of polymer clay. And at the time I was like, what is this polymer clay thing? <laughs> it sounds so, so cool that you can just make anything out of this clay and then you can cure it in a, a conventional oven. And that would be that it, it will just cure to rock solid state and then you can just use it as jewelry. So I thought that was really neat and I went out to buy some and then I, you know, looked around online, bought some books, borrowed some from the library, taught myself how to sculpt all of this stuff. And at the time, so this is, I feel comfortable sharing this because this is an entrepreneurial podcast. Typically with my other customers, I just give them kind of a, a different, happier story. Yeah. <laughs> but really how, how the scented food jewelry idea came along, I take absolutely no credit in inventing this. I definitely was not the first person to have done this. But at the time, kind of at the cusp of when I was just figuring out what I wanted my my unique selling proposition to be, I there were two other brands at the time that was already selling scented food jewelry, and I you know I followed their their journey and I was you know a big fan of their work. And like at the same almost at the same time, they both closed their doors and closed shops. So they just disappeared off the face of the earth, just like that. And here I was like one of their super fans. And I was like, this is an opportunity for me. <laughs> you know, there's obviously a, uh, a niche that in the market that was, that had no suppliers for, you know, it's demand and supply, right? There's obviously demand for it, but there wasn't anyone who was creating it anymore. So I was like, hmm, what? let me see what I can do with this. So I took on the idea for the scented food jewelry and through a lot of trial and error, figuring out the the techniques to get the fragrance on the polymer clay and through the whole process of building my own brand and from changing web, one website to another website, uh, that that you know that's all in the in-between stuff. And what you see now at tinyhandsonline.com is what we have today. Very cool. So you mentioned just now that you aren't the first person to do this, a sense of food jewelry. And I think this is a kind of a, I guess, a crossroads that a lot of entrepreneurs face where they come to this point where they think, man, I really want to focus on creating something from scratch, my own idea, you know, very original and never taking it from anything, any outside influences. But then there's other side of the, I guess, the camp, which is that don't reinvent the wheel, find what's already working and then build off of that. So did you have that kind of conflict at that time? Like thinking like, should I focus on doing something that's already, you know, basically creating a product that already exists, but, you know, obviously with your own spin on it versus starting from scratch, starting something from scratch. Did you ever have that, I guess, conflict? 
Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of creative entrepreneurs out there who make like some sort of art based or, Mm -hmm. you know, jewelry or clothing or graphic design sort of work, greeting cards, you know, for example, I think we will all struggle with this. There is that kind of that urge to create something that's so different and so new Mm -hmm. and so special, but then you risk creating something that maybe no one will buy. Um, So I think there is a fine balance between coming up with something that you know is going to be somewhat trendy. I mean, I know at the same time, there are people out there who are like, I don't want to follow any trends. But at the same time, you really got to listen to market demand. You know, people are, it's, it's, it's been picking up, you know, with social media. People are always taking photos of their food. You know, this is what I ate for lunch today. <laughs> and definitely the rise of food bloggers out there, people that just follow these bakers and these foodies and they're just it's definitely a huge community basically and these are the people that I target they're foodies people who absolutely love food um so that was kind of what I um personally for for tiny hands that's kind of the strategy that I took but at the same time in order to kind of um, get over this conflict that you you addressed was I think just figuring out what I could do to make it different. So at the time, even though these two brands were already done, um, yeah, you know, the fragrance part wasn't anything special, but I then created a, a diff, you know, a bunch of different designs that I took a long time to research. You know, there are a lot of different designs I created that were like, yeah, you know, no one really cares about lemon bars. So I made it, <laughs> but then no one bought it. So then I discontinued it. And I continued to design a range of products that I knew people would continue to buy because these are, you know, the American favorites. People are familiar with cupcakes. People are familiar with corn dogs and snow cones. Um, but I think it's important to just figure out either within the design element or within the branding element uh, what you can change about the product or about the brand to make it different than what's already out there. So for me, it's a lot, it has a lot to do with the fragrance. I know there are a lot of other shops, shop owners out there, designers who are also making scented food jewelry right now. But then I also really spend the time to make them look really cute and also look really realistic. Mm, yeah, it's one of these, like, uh, it sounds like when you do kind of put your own flavor, your own spin on something that already exists, it's a very nuanced, right? It's not like a crazy change that no one's ever seen before, but it's almost like very intangible almost. Like you can't really put your finger, I mean, you, you described it in a, in a very kind of tangible way, but when it comes down to it, the work you put in day in, day out, it's kind of hard to almost like measure, figure out what you need to be doing every single day to make sure that you are, you know, differentiating yourself. So is there a process that you go through, like, you know, you have in mind that you want to, your unique selling proposition that you want to make your scented food jewelry very cute and like have this particular look to it. How do you make sure that you're actually making progress towards that every single day? I think that is something for the listeners anyway, is it's not something you can expect to just happen overnight. And I think, you know, I mean, if you work with like a business coach or a mentor, they can probably help speed up that process. But I didn't have the luxury at the time. So it was, in a way, it, it was a process of just figuring it out on my own and kind of soul searching <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of how it helped with this process was in hearing 
my existing customers their feedback and hearing what they had to say about their purchases. So people would email me, you know, happy customers. They email me to say that I love your jewelry and I know there are others out there, but yours is the cutest or yours is the most realistic. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I hone, I focus in on that, and I take and run, and I take that and run with it. So I know people come to me if they're already telling me this is what they come to me for. I should stay true to the to that that part of my brand, and this is what customers come to me for. As I as I mentioned, that I should continue to make sure that in all parts of my design process, that I make sure that in whatever I create, that it continues to keep looking good and that it also looks realistic. Because you cannot imagine the number of requests I get for people asking me to make like. A plate of spaghetti or something like, you know, people love eating spaghetti, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily translate into mm. miniature form. So uh, there's definitely a lot of thought that goes behind designing a product and not everything is a suitable uh, miniature replica. Um, but I think, as I mentioned, you know, this is a process that will take time. Just hearing from people's feedback. If you have existing customers, that's a great starting point to to kind of just ask them, like, why did you buy from me and not from my competitors, for example? And that's going to help you really hone in on what what is your USP. And, you know, from the start, if you don't have customers, I think this is something you just have to kind of do a lot of market research, see who is out there who is creating a similar product as you and see how you can be different from them. What can what unique spin can you put on your own line to make it different? I love that about how you listen to your your customers, your happy customers, and listen to how they describe your brand, and especially talk about why they bought from you, not your competition. And I also think what you're getting at a little bit earlier was about the balance between the whole spaghetti uh, plate <laughs> thing. It was that how do you balance the difference between what your customers are asking you to do the kind of feedback they're giving you versus your kind of vision as well because i'm sure that you come across this all the time the spaghetti example is probably just one of many but how do you know when you should make that decision to say no i'm not going this direction i'm going this other direction even if customers are asking for something specific so i wanted to point out uh just to agree with what you said, that I, it is very important if you do have a, a, an existing audience and they've been telling you, May, you need to make this and this and this. And if you start, I, I think that's probably some of the best designs I have in terms of sales. Those designs have come from customer ideas. So definitely don't discount mm-hmm. customer feedback for sure. And that's actually something I do a lot with my social media is I'm always asking them. I actually even involve a lot of them in the design process. Like, do you prefer blue cotton candy or do you prefer pink cotton candy? Do you prefer that the cotton candy stick has like a swirl in it or if it's just better if it's just white? Um, and people just love being included that way. But I think with your question, how do how do I find the balance between what I, ca- I should create mm-hmm. into a design versus what I shouldn't? I think first and foremost for the for, for that design that I keep hearing over and over and over again that people keep asking for, I think that's definitely a sign that this is something I really need to make. So one of one of that example is people have been asking me for some sort of coffee-related product. So like a mug of co- coffee or a cup of coffee or a latte or something related to coffee. And I can totally see that being a really great idea, but personally, I just haven't found a great way to actually you know, the, the technique to actually make it yet, but it's on, it's a priority for sure. Um, 
but there are other things where it's like, oh yeah, out of like the hundred people who've given me feedback, there's just one person who wanted like this really obscure thing. And in that case, I would either tell them, well, okay, sure, if you want me to make a custom piece for you, here's how much it's going to cost. Obviously, a lot more expensive than just buying it right off my shop. Uh, but otherwise, I appreciate your suggestion, and I'll consider it for future design updates, mm. for example. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So I want to ask this question. I think that your answer is going to be like you don't encounter this issue, but maybe you can offer some tips for others. So mm-hmm. you said that you, you often solicit feedback and a- include your customers early on in the in the process. And, I, and I've heard from many entrepreneurs as well, the store owners, other brands, that that's one of the best ways to get their customers engaged early on. I think there's still this kind of fear for some entrepreneurs where they think that... It won't, won't the customer say, you know, May, you're the designer, you're the expert. Why are you asking me for for advice? It, it almost like a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of worried to kind of step down from, you know, the quote unquote throne, I guess, <laughs> and hang out with the people that are buying from them. Well, maybe, maybe I ask, you know, have you ever faced that kind of fear early on? Or and if you haven't, like maybe some tips if you have any on how to kind of get over that particular fear of uh I mean, I don't know. I, don't know, I guess I don't know a good way to ask it, but basically coming out and asking for advice, essentially, from your customers. That's a really good question, and I, you know, in retrospect, I don't think I ever had that that feeling of mm-hmm. feeling afraid of you know that oh I'm supposed to be the authority here. I'm right. I'm the expert. I should be knowing these things. But for for other people out there who might be feeling those things, I think this is a very important thing to touch on, especially when it comes to social media and you know basically your audience engagement, community building kind of stuff. I think it's very important in this day and age. Maybe 10 years ago it was not so important, but right now it's very important that you as the authority, if you want to be seen as more relatable, as if you want people to like you more, and people being your customers, your potential customers, maybe even your peers or your competitors, you know, just whoever, anyone out there, if you want to be more know, known, liked, and trusted, that it's important to show some some small element of uh, vulnerability, Mm. some form of rawness. And I think when you put yourself in that position of asking other people for their opinion, for their feedback, you don't, I mean, you don't necessarily have to take their feedback, but just the form of asking uh, says two things. One, that you don't know everything and people, that's kind of endearing. People appreciate that. They're going to like and know and trust you more and that's going to help <laughs> push the sale better. And the second thing it'll do is it'll tell people that you appreciate their opinion and that's going to create some sort of a more improved brand loyalty to to you. I like that. And I think, like you're saying, this whole vulnerability aspect of coming out and showing that you don't know everything, if you go to your customers and show that you, you know, like and trust and obviously know them, know, like, and trust them, they're much more likely to give it back to you because, again, you've already kind of put all your cards on the table and show your own vulnerability. They're much more likely to kind of give it back as well. And there's this um, saying I've heard about how you don't want to lead from the front. You want to lead from the middle, meaning like mm. be as a part of your your audience, be a part of your the type of customer that you're going after and lead them from there rather than being like, hey, you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm all the way up here, catch up. You don't want to be that way. You want to <laughs> right. be, you know, a part of the group as they kind of progress and learn more about you and learn more about your products and, and your brand. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you know, another thing that you could do is if you do have that fear and it's really hard to shake off, you could start small and maybe just 
ask a very small group of people to become like your beta testers to mm-hmm. give you feedback. So you don't have to go to your social media profiles. You could maybe start with like your your email list and see if you could get together like 10 to 20 different people who would be open to giving you feedback on product design. So in that way, you know, it's not so public and in that way you don't have to feel so nervous about being, I like that. You know, yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's almost like I think it might be called like a customer advisory board or something. Basically, yeah. a smaller group of people that so you don't have to broadcast it. Everybody get comfortable with a smaller group, and then you know if it makes sense, expand to your entire kind of audience. Cool. So um, you mentioned. Um, I always want to step back to to the very beginning because you mentioned that there were already a couple stores, a couple uh, companies that were doing something similar, but they all closed shop. And I think at that moment, there's going to be the person who says, oh man, this is discouraging. There's no market for this because they couldn't you know, exist anymore because they closed down. But you said you saw it as an opportunity. Like, Why do you think that you saw it that way rather than thinking that this was a bad industry to be in? <laughs> the very first thought that I had was because I loved it so much mm. and I felt so sad that these shops had closed down and so you know the the next thought that you could have is that oh am I the only person that likes this type of product or are there other people out there that are like me and I, I it's interesting you pointed that out but I guess I I just had thought that there were other people out there like me I just felt that it was a really good idea I mean even from the entrepreneurial business standpoint the just food jewelry that looked like food and that would appeal to people who like food i mean i think this is a reason why the restaurant industry is booming so much or it, it just people will never stop eating <laughs> people will never stop loving food or appreciating food so i think in some sense i saw that this was a big opportunity and that it was and it's it's such an interesting idea as well it's not something that um you see a lot but it's funny because at the time I started, it wasn't so trendy yet, but I think in the last one or two years, it's definitely something that's picked up. Like you, everywhere you go, you'll see like pencil cases or skirts or dresses with food patterns on them and like cell phone cases. And I, they're just, the, the food theme has really taken over um, America at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that definitely is true. I've noticed that as well. Uh, so you said you started this in 15, when you were 15 and you know, you're know you 10 years in business now. I don't mean to uh, age you again. But so <laughs> were you, you know, this was, this is like a, I guess, a formative time in a lot of people's lives, right? 15, like, you know, you, you're driving, 18, people are going to college. Like, were you ever distracted along the way, like trying to figure out you had this, I've never had anything for that for that long, especially not from, you know, a much like a younger age like that. Like a lot of things are going on that time. Like, how were you able to stay focused on on this business? I think it for me, especially for this business, it really just boils down to just my passion for it. And it's funny that you point out the staying focused because it was the other way around where I had trouble focusing on school (laughs) because I just couldn't stop thinking about all of these cool. Yeah, right. Exactly. I just so I went to I went I had a (laughs) it's really ironic. So I went to college in Wisconsin and I, I got a degree for actuarial science, which is a very math statistic probability type of thing. You know, you end up working in an insurance agency And um, it's one of those professional um, degrees where you have to kind of like accounting or law or architecture, you have to sit for like 10 different professional exams. And I just remember during the summer, you know, when we are on summer break for, for from from college, um, I had to spend all this time just 
really going through math problem after math problem. And it was so hard to be focused on that because I kept thinking about what can I do with my email list on tiny hands? Oh, I should do this on social media and I should do this with marketing and I really want to try this. So like it was very clear that my heart was in my business and not so much in what I was professionally studying for. Um, And I think just... If you were to ask me, like, how did you decide between going to the professional, you know, proper get a cubicle yeah. job versus start continuing with my own business? And I think it was just a matter of me listening to my my heart. I mean, it's kind of woo-woo as that sounds. Um, I, I am definitely very passionate about business in general. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think, you know, speaking of focus, you were, I think you were saying earlier that Tiny Hands Online was selling lots of different things uh, for, for a while. And then you finally, I guess, settled on the uh, scented food jewelry. Was it hard to, you know, focus and I guess niche down on just that? Because I'm assuming at that time you were doing a bunch of other kind of products in different categories as well. Did you have to go through a phase where you were cutting out parts of your business that might have been been, you know, doing you know, decently? It, it's interesting you point that out because I think what happened in that, in kind of that, that transition was that I started to see that a lot of the food jewelry was selling better than the other things. And so that to me was a clear sign. It was an indication that mm, maybe this is kind of what I want to work with instead of all the other stuff. And I think also in terms of sustainability, I was making the other product I was making was handbound journals. And it's so incredibly time consuming. And it was not something that I would be able to charge a decent price for considering the the time that you put into something like that. So in my mind, that was already a strike on that product with like, yeah, it's not going to be very profitable. It's not sustainable. I asked that fairly quickly. But something I wanted to mention also was that after I focused on the whole scented food jewelry part, there were definitely a lot of times where I've considered like, maybe I should take the scent out because it's it's definitely something that is a little harder to control um, because it's not like I can tell my customers that, yeah, this piece of jewelry is 100% fragrance and then this next piece of jewelry, which is the exact same, but I, you know, it's gonna, it might be not as smelly as the original. So it's, mm-hmm. um, we know we do our best in terms of quality control, but scent is such a subjective thing. So like one person might like this scent while they might not like another scent, for example. Um, so there have definitely been challenges throughout the throughout my business journey, and there have been times where I felt like I need to change my focus, I need to change my USP, and um, sometimes even just getting customers' feedback. Sometimes they're negative, and sometimes you just feel like you just want to change your swivel, change your direction. But um, I think so far I've just been <laughs> sticking to my guns and just going with it. And that's been, I think that's important. But at the same time, you know, don't discount, as I mentioned before, don't discount the feedback that you get. Sometimes it is important to really consider that maybe the USP that you have isn't the right one. But yeah, you know, to answer your question, it is hard to choose your focus and to stick with it too. 
Cool. Yeah. So it sounds like you do get a lot of guidance from from paying attention to market demands. Uh, you know, when you were first getting into this industry, and now that you're continuing to focus on it, you working with your your audience, your customers to understand more about what they want. So, what, do you have like a process for understanding what the market would be interested in, or is it as simple as just you know paying attention, or do you have some kind of you know every every once a month or every, once every six months you do some kind of research to figure out if you're still kind of going to stay on this path or change direction, do you have a process for that? I don't have a process. And I think the, the only, you know, I do like to think very step by step in, in that, in that manner. But unfortunately for something like what you're asking is I think very much an internal process, you know, just kind of keeping mental notes on the same feedback that I seem to keep getting over and over again, and then maybe paying more attention to something that's specific like that. Uh, versus a one-off comment that you would hear from some random person who is never going to be your customer anyway. But no, I don't have any specific um, process where like I don't, I do, I, I think it's a great idea for like at least once a year you send out a customer survey to just kind of gauge your audience. Uh, but for the most part, um, since I do so much with social media, I just, and I think it's very important. I think most businesses these days are on social media and it's very important. I, I feel like not enough people do this, but it's important that you actually take the time to listen to the data. It, it is all data ultimately, but to listen and to analyze the, the comments and the feedback that you're getting from people. Yeah, let's talk about social media. So, you, how do you use social media to? Because you, let's start with the the listing side of it. Because you know, obviously, you can be on there to push your products or or posting uh, content. But when you're listening to social media, is it just? I'm, I'm assuming you're not just spending your day like watching your Twitter feed or like what <laughs> is there like a step? Because you mentioned before you were kind of step by step with this, and you know, you went to school for a very analytical uh, degree. Like, do you have a process for this too? Like, to to understand and actually to get the data that you need out of social media? So the first step you have to do is you have to actually create the content for people to <laughs> respond to. And, you know, whatever comments they leave you, that's the feedback. So I don't mean feedback in the sense of someone saying like, yeah, I like this product or I think this product should be a different color. Not necessarily that directly, but even in terms of feedback, like for example, with my Facebook page, I... I I really loved and I've, I've had a lot of great success with sharing other people's content. So, and as you probably realize, video works really well on Facebook these days. So I would find like a really cool video on one topic and another cool video on a different topic. And I share it on my Facebook page and like a week will go by and I'll go back to these posts, you know, of these two separate videos on different topics. And I'll see kind of one, how people have responded to it and how many comments, how many shares, how many likes they've gotten. And also, if people have left a comment, what did they say? So I think the first, the easiest thing you can do is to look at the engagement numbers, likes, comments, and shares. And that will give you a really great idea for whether, for, for how much people like that topic that you just shared. So a really good example, and this is, I, I feel like social media is a great place for you to learn more about your ideal customer. Um, so you don't, sometimes, you know, if you don't want to go the customer survey route to actually send them a survey for them to fill out, social media is a great place for you to do that kind of research. So for example, one thing, a really specific example I learned about my audience was, so when you think about the food market, there are 
some of the more healthy food eaters, so like, you know, the vegans, the gluten-free type recipes, really healthy fruit stuff. Um, and then there, the, there's another kind of extreme where you're like eating the most decadent, high caloric content sort of like it's just I, I'm just thinking about like you know things with a lot of butter in it and a lot mm-hmm. of chocolate and a lot of sugar and it's just obviously very bad for you so for example I would post two different either photos or videos of say one of them is like um, how to make a fruit salad super healthy really clean eating stuff and then another another video would be about here's a recipe on how to make the most decadent brownie sundae you could ever have in your life and that would set you back like Seven, seven, like seven days of your of your caloric dieting pr- program or whatever you know, and so I, I I've noticed that people, my people at least, they prefer the more decadent, the more amazingly fatty, sugary stuff, and they don't so much care for the healthy things. So you know that's a very important piece of information to have because that will guide me on creating products that will guide me on the different social media content that I'll share, email list content, blogging content, you know, just basically my whole brand, what it stands for. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why your site has mostly um, desserts and no like right. bowls of salad or anything like that <laughs> right. as jewelry. That makes sense. So I think this is a really important topic and I've never heard anyone talking about this way. And I think a lot of listeners might be interested in learning more about this. So you're saying that First, start off by creating, sharing, reposting content so that you can get a feel for the interest level or a particular interest itself uh, from your customers and prospective customers. So let's kind of walk through this. So let's say that you are sitting down and thinking about sharing content or creating content to get a feel for what your customers might be interested in for a new product line or maybe you're thinking about how to rebrand your, your company. How do you find the content? Like, what are you looking for? Where are you looking to to find the right kind of content to share to get feedback? So, if you are just starting out, it's important that you it, it's important that you sit down and make a list of the different topics that you think your audience is interested in. And then, what I like to do, and it is, I, I think it's kind of different with every social media. So, in terms of Facebook, I think this works really well. It's a great example. Twitter, maybe not so much, but with Facebook, um, you can. If you're not familiar with this, so, you know, with Facebook as your personal profile, you've got a news feed, right, where it shows you all of the posts from your friends and family. And then as your business page, you have a separate news feed for your business page as well. So um, I'm not sure if they actually recently kind of took away the use Facebook as your page, as your business page. But if you're able to, like, sign in as your business page then you're acting as, you know, you're acting as tiny hands. Then I can go and look for bloggers out there for um, new sites or just general websites out there that talk about the topics that I have on my list. And then I'll start liking those pages. And then what will happen is then my my business newsfeed will start to be filled with all of these different posts that come from these specific bloggers mm. and websites and news sites, for example. And so that's, you know, a feed of content that's just raring for me to share. And what's important as you're just starting out is to not be too limiting to what you choose to share. So it's it's very important that you 
you choose content to share that you think your customers will like. So remember, it's all about your customer. It's not so much about you. It's what they like, not what you like. And, you know, there are a lot of times where those two, what you like and what they like are the same thing. But at the same time, it's it's really about your customer. So when you find a piece of content that you are like, you know, you're scrolling through the newsfeed, you see posts that you're like, oh, wow, I think my audience is going to like that. So then, you know, schedule that to share to your your page um, for the next week or, you know, whatever your schedule is like. And then um, just schedule out a whole bunch of different posts about a different bunch of different topics. And of course, because with Facebook, there's so many different forms of posts. There's the video post, there's the regular photo post, there's just, you know, plain and simple text posts. So that those are all different variables, too, that might affect how people respond and engage with your post. So definitely pay attention to that as well. But then once you've got like a good kind of... Um, calendar or schedule of different posts that you've created, then, you know, let it run for like one or two weeks, you know, have a bunch of posts scheduled for the next one or two weeks, and then kind of come back and check your engagement to see what people have been responding to. And then check your your data, check the likes and comments that people have commented, check to see what they said on those comments, because people might be like, ew, that's really gross. And then maybe that's a good indication that this might not be something that's interesting, or that's a good fit for your audience. Well, I love this. I'm, I'm going to have to definitely steal this strategy because you are going around liking or yeah, liking different content or pages from other influencers in the space or in the particular category niche that you're in. And then you're waiting for the content to come to you rather than having yes. to actively seek it out. And you also kind of get to rely on, on Facebook's algorithm too to highlight popular content itself so you're almost like you get you basically get a lot of great content to share with, without having to do much work it's like pretty passive it sounds like and i think this is going to be really useful for a lot of people starting out that maybe don't have a lot of time to go out and hunt for content i think it's a great strategy so do you find that this is more valuable than or do you find that yeah i guess do you find it more valuable than just like a direct survey or poll or do they have different kind of uses i think they have different kind of uses my my reservation with like a direct survey for example i think these the traditional sense of it is you create a survey on like survey monkey you've got all sorts of questions on it like you know multiple choice questions <laughs> and then you send it out to your email list and i think um that can normally what you would tend to do too is you give them like a ten dollar gift card or whatever sort of incentive for when they finish the mm-hmm. survey and i think a lot of times that can skew the accuracy of the results that you get um because it's, it may not be so natural or people may not be so honest or they may be in a hurry to finish it just so they can get to the finish line and get their incentive, you know, their $10 gift card, for example. Um, but I feel like with social media, a great advantage that we have is that people are pretty much honest um, when they leave comments. You know, there's not much of a, a, a barrier or... Uh, bubble that you need to kind of decipher. But then with surveys, it's a lot like you got to think about, yeah, or do people really mean that? Or could it be maybe you're targeting the wrong people? Or maybe your your set of people who took the survey are skewed towards a different target age range that you wanted. And so I feel like with social media, there are some advantages to just be um, besides doing the traditional survey 
Yeah, I think surveys are so hard to get right. It's not just uh, deciphering the the results of the survey, but you have to ask the questions the right way too. Right. And mm-hmm. there's this idea of how you really can't trust what people say nearly as much as watching what they do, right? Their exactly, behavior. Exactly, yeah. And I think like the example you gave of posting the content and then waiting to see how they react to it is watching behaviors rather than asking them, hey, do you like, Donuts, exactly. you know, it's going to be exactly. a, lot, a lot different. <laughs> exactly. You, yeah, you, you said that way better than I did. But I, I think what you mentioned, too, with when you do create surveys, I think few people understand how important it is to craft the right survey questions. Because your survey question, if you don't have the right copyright for it, if you don't ask it in, in a, a most objective way, your question could manipulate the answer subconsciously. And then, you know, the whole survey, the whole result is going to be skewed to what maybe what you want to hear, for example. So there's a whole art and science behind creating surveys. And I definitely recommend that if you do decide to create one that you hire a professional. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So let's talk a little bit more about selling jewelry specifically, because maybe not a lot of people are in this particular spin or I guess niche of jewelries, but I think there are a lot of listeners out there that are selling jewelries or other kind of accessories. And one of the hardest things about e-commerce selling online is getting over this touch feel. And I guess for your situation, the smell <laughs> gap, right. right? There's this whole uh, uh, tangible aspect of, especially jewelry, people want to see it on them when they want to touch it. And I think that's why jewelry sells so much better in person. So is there a way that you've been able to find to translate this online to make sure that people are able to get as much of the real in-person experience as they would if they went into a into a physical store? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I think it's really funny how people, because my jewelry is scented, you would think that I don't maybe get a lot of sales online because like yeah. if they can't smell it then they're not going to buy it but it, it's it I thought fo- I found it an interesting thing to think about too but you know I think there are a bunch of different things that you can kind of replicate in terms of the online experience so instead of you know when someone walks into a store you're kind of looking at their decor you're looking at the the people who greet you to say hello do you need any help what are you looking for and then you're you know going through the racks and the different tables and the displays and kind of putting your hands through things right um and i think that they're the same things that you could do with your online store and i think that's i i love shopify for this reason is that Things are so intuitive and they're so fast and that's definitely going to help with the whole online shopping experience. So great pictures, those sorts of things are going to help. Great product descriptions are going to help. Um, uh, an important thing just in terms of pictures, I think, is like, you know, when people want to try something on, it's important that you have those lifestyle pictures. So if you sell something that you can try on, definitely spend the time to take pictures on a model, mm. for example. And um, in terms of like the scent, the best thing that I found that I can do is to just talk about the scent. What does it smell like? And the product description here is what's really important um, for me. So a lot of the times I, I ha- I've hired this copywriter who she a lot of the times writes about like, this is going to bring you back to your memories from when you're, you know, watching Mean Girls with your girlfriends on like a Saturday night, for example, or the popcorn that you had when you're watching Captain America. And so these little things where we kind of touch on the feelings and the emotions is really important, especially for our jewelry line. I mean, I think it's important for everyone, but for for us especially so, it's 
it's what we really, really do a lot of. Um, and then the site design, the checkout process, that's that all adds to a great shopping experience. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I've done a lot of online or offline events myself, a lot of craft shows, and I sell in a lot of different stores. But it is a lot of work, and I found that I can do just as well selling online as offline. So I'm just gonna <laughs> stay online. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think you're. I think the whole making sure you have great photos goes a long way. And, and I have. You know, I have your whenever I do one of these podcast interviews, I always have the um, the store owner store up, and I've been staring at this scented heart cookie with sprinkles necklace the entire time. <laughs> I can almost smell it just by looking at. It. I think the gray photos goes a long way to overcome even the smell aspect. If I can almost imagine what it smells like, even without having to read the description, just because of you know great detailed photos. So I think I think you touched on it. Great photos, different angles, and if it's something that's wearable, you know, get it on a model so people can kind of picture themselves wearing. It as well. I forgot to mention that the thing with the scent also, because it's such a vague thing and people can't experience it through, like, you can't scratch and sniff the computer screen. Not <laughs> you yet. Know? Not yet, right? <laughs> Not yet. But So I think it's important when you have a product that maybe is a little bit harder for you to communicate the features or the benefits with your customers, and if you can foresee that this might be a barrier to someone actually buying it from you, I think it's important to have those um, guarantees in place mm-hmm. and exchange and return policies. So what we do is, I think for the most part, you know, on my website I say like returns and exchanges on a case by case basis. But for I think a hundred percent of the time, if a customer is unhappy for whatever reason, we always either try to arrange a return or exchange or to just refund them their money. Um, so I think customer service adds a lot to making it easy for people to buy from you. And also to add to that, like, you know, great press mentions really helps as well. It helps people trust you more. So they get the sense that, yeah, this must be the real deal. This must smell pretty good. Um, customer feedback as well. So if you've got like on Shopify, there's the Yacht Po review app. There's the also there's also the Shopify native review app. But if you can get people to pass customers to talk about the send, that's gonna really help. Um, you know, I think video is, is it would really help. I don't use a lot of video on my website, but I have had the idea of going to like a live event and actually video record people coming to my booth to smell the jewelry and to just see their expressions because it's amazing. People walk by and you're like oh my god this is so cute or like this smells like what and you're just getting their just hate recording their expressions on camera and then putting that in your website that's going to really really help with the scent part you know with the more vague aspects of your product yeah i love that that the 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 aspect of um well first of all those returns are going to be really important and that's why the company's examples came along and dominated so well is because Again, you don't really know how a shoe fits until you tried right. it, and that might be a, a, I guess, an objection that's strong enough for people not to buy. But if you give them the option, hey, this is no risk, buy it, try it out, and if you don't like it, return. I think that goes a long way. And um, you know, I think the whole unbiased opinion thing makes a huge difference too, whether it be from customers or from the press. Just hearing other people talk about it rather than the brand itself also get, goes a long way much much further I, th- I think than the brand talking about it themselves right, just because yep. 
there's like, you know, no bias. So, so speaking of, you know, PR and publicity, uh, you know, you got this on like Leslie Nope, like you said, on Parks and Recreations. You've been in Rachel Ray Magazine. You've been in a lot of different kind of publications online. And I think I was asking you uh, before the recording when we were first arranging this interview, you had mentioned that uh, press was a, a big kind of, um, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily a factor, but a great way for you to drive traffic in and sales to your stores. T- tell us a little about this. Like, how do you, how did you get these features on, you know, Parks and Recreations or in, in publications? Some of them were people who found me and some of them were me actively pursuing these features. And the how it all started was, I think, my very first feature on this website called Oh My So Cute. And this was like back when I first started out, they featured some of my really, my earliest designs, which when I look back to them, I'm like, oh, I made that. What? <laughs> it's just embarrassing to look <laughs> no, at. <for> but sure. <laughs> So that was years ago. That still sends me traffic to this day. So, um, and that was um, kind of, you know, it, it, they found me and they posted about me and I saw they brought me traffic, they brought me sales. And then I was like, oh, this, you know, being featured on someone's website, that might be a great way to get more traffic and sales. So then I start doing more advertising on blogs. There are sites that you can do this um, where it's not doing Facebook advertising, but at the time, and actually now you can access doing Facebook ads. I'm sorry, you can access doing like sidebar ads on blogs. So um, two resources for that is Project Wonderful and Passion Fruit Ads. You can check that out and it's a super easy process where you can just like buy a 30-day spot on this popular influencer or blogger yeah and um, pretty cheap for most of the time so I did that a little bit and then I started figuring out how to actually do it for free so instead of paying for advertising I would actually pitch to some of these bloggers or influencers or websites I would pitch to them here's my product maybe you can do a giveaway or maybe here's a free coupon code or maybe I'll just send you some free product that you can wear for like your outfit of the day sort of thing And so um, just actively pitching these people, finding the right people that works for your brand and for your product is very important. And once you have gotten yourself in so many different media outlets, eventually your brand awareness is going to keep going up and up and up. And that's ultimately how the uh, wardrobe stylist of the Parks and Recreation TV show found me was they found me because I was featured on someone's Mm. blog and I didn't even know I was featured on that blog. And it was just one of those uh, blog posts where it was like kind of a product roundup. Here are 10 different uh, products for the whatever fashion lover and my one of my food necklaces was featured on there and like I said I didn't even know um, that I was featured on there but the wardrobe stylist reads that blog and saw that I made food jewelry and because Leslie Nope is a fan of waffles the wardrobe stylist you know connected the two and two together and sent me an email to say that they wanted to buy some of my products for one of their episodes. So that was really cool. But I think PR is a really, really amazing way for for any brand to get the word out there quickly. I think I've heard this time and time again from successful business owners is that PR like really snowballs. It builds on top of each yes. other. And that's what happened for you. It sounds like you got you know featured and then it starts spreading more and more. People start writing about you even without you knowing about it. And before you know it, people start reaching out to you to get your products in front of you know many millions right. of, of eyeballs. So I think that's a really great approach. So for someone that's, um, or maybe for you specifically, did you have to position or did you have to pitch your product 
products. I think your product is really unique, and I think that it, by itself it tells a great story already. But did you also have to do any convincing when you uh, reached out to any any of these uh, publications? Sometimes I did, um, but I think what you mentioned too is important. Is if you have a product that is different, that's so unique. If you've got a really strong USP, that's going to really help with the pitching process because you know in that way you don't have to convince people as much. Like you said, the product itself, the idea, kind of just tells the story in itself. But there have been uh, people that I've reached out to that that I had to kind of um, drive the idea home a little bit. You just tell them like, you know, this is totally different. And in my pitch, um, depending on where you are at with um, how many press mentions you've gotten, sometimes it's helpful to include saying like, oh yeah, and by the way, you might have seen Tiny Hands at mm. on Rachel Ray magazine and on you know. Talk about where you've already been featured and that's going to kind of increase the desirability of like, oh yeah, maybe you're the real deal. Let me check you out a little bit more. So there are definitely some very um, specific but very subtle things that you can say in your email pitch to make it more attractive to the person that you're pitching to. Yeah, I think the the big lesson with this and also when you're talking about reviews is that the less you are selling your business, the easier it is to kind of get that pitch across, right? If you get other people mm-hmm. to to pitch you even better, whether it means mentioning, hey, I already got featured in this place, it kind of, you know, validates that you are a legit, you know, company, you're a legit brand and you're worthy of writing a story about because someone already wrote about you. Exactly. And, you know, same thing when someone comes to your site and they're looking at your product, you know, your product description goes a long way, but then the unbiased kind of feedback and comments and reviews from other people goes, I think, even even further kind of closes the deal for you. So I think in general, the less selling you do yourself, the, the better mm-hmm. if you can rely on other people to kind of pitch you know, for you. Oh, yeah. One more thing that I wanted to add to that. There have been times where I, I have really, really wanted to be in, for example, this specific uh, media outlet or magazine or blogger. Um, but if I feel like, yeah, they're maybe not very interested, then I would definitely be more kind of, you know, I, I guess I don't want to say kowtow, but I mean, it is kind of kowtowing. So I would like, you know, say, just pick anything you want from my store. And even if it's not for you to wear, you can give it to your nieces or your daughter or, you know, your friend's daughter or whatever. They're, they're, they're great as gifts and I'll send it to you on the house. So I think extending free product there, there's <laughs> people love free product. People love getting free stuff. So just put yourself out there if you really want to get. Um, if you, I mean, that's a great way to convince someone. Um, it's the best way, I think, is <laughs> to just give them free stuff. Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. Cool. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, running the business itself. So you said it was you, and then you had hired two uh, production assistants. Like, who else makes up uh, the, the team? Um, so it, it used to be that I had four people, but um, one of my mentors actually gave me some really great advice, which I'll talk about just really briefly. But if you are looking to hire on um, help for your business, always hire more than you think you need because like half of them are going to drop out. And I thought it was really crazy, strange that she said that. I mean, it made sense, but that was exactly what happened. So at one point I had four production assistants, but two of them dropped out. So now I'm left with the two best ones that I have. Um, I do have a virtual assistant based in Canada and I, she's just kind of a friend, but who's also very familiar with the polymer clay work that I do and who's also very familiar with my market. So she makes for a great assistant to just help me with like the social media stuff 
scheduling, the email newsletters, um, setting up product listings and descriptions and editing photos and things like that. Um, but then that's the core team, the two production assistants. One of them does also do shipping for me, which is great because then at that point, my business is pretty much hands off um, when you include the virtual assistant. Uh, but that frees me up time to do more product design stuff or to set up new businesses. Very cool. So in terms, I know you mentioned Yotpo earlier. Are there any in uh, Project Wonderful and Passion for Dads for, for the sidebar ads? Are there any other, um, I guess, services or, or apps that you rely on to run the business or market the business? Yeah, so I use Remarkety, which is my email marketing software, and I love it because it's so e-commerce driven. So I think a lot of people out there, they're using like MailChimp or um, Aweber. And and I think with MailChimp now, they do have e-commerce integration. But I do think as an e-commerce store, it's very important that you have the ability to send automatically emails for like abandoned carts. Or, for example, if you know you have a customer who spent X amount of dollars with you in the past six months that you want to give them some sort of reward. Or if, for example, you have someone who hasn't bought from you in the last six months, then maybe you want to send them a 20% coupon code. So with something like Aweber, it's not possible for you to do something like that. So it's important that you pick an email service that has that capability. So Klaviyo is another example, but I chose Remarkety over it just because the price point was more affordable for me. Um, another one that I use, ShipStation. I think a lot of people have probably mentioned that I can't do <laughs> can't do without it. Um, let's see. Um, some retargeting apps that I've used for Facebook ads. Um, I've tried Shoelace and Retarget app. Both have been very good, and it's very automated to just, you know, you connect your Facebook ads account to it, and it will just do it for you. If someone has visited a specific product listing but didn't go out and buy it, then it'll start showing that picture to them on Facebook. Um, so that's been very, very effective in terms of ROI and bringing me sales. Um, I also use recurring billing by Recharge. I do have a subscription product that's been very successful at bringing a consistent income, which is important for entrepreneurs, I would think. Um, so that's a great option, too, if you sell a product with um, a subscription product that requires recurring billing. Uh, but those are the few, like, um, I would say receiptful I use that I love that too and another one for my emails um, for my invoices now at the top of my head I'm looking at my app store now I can't find it I think it's order order printer templates is a, another good one because um, that allows me to to print out a packing slip that kind of has my logo on it, has the person's address on it, has the items with the little pictures of what they ordered, as well as a few of my own custom messages. So on my packing slips, I would say things like, um, we're only happy if you're happy. So if there's something wrong with your order, please email us right away at this email address. Um, you know, again, touching on that happiness, satisfaction, guarantee sort of thing. Um, that's a great place to put that message because this is the packing slip that they get with the order when they open their package. Um, and then we say a bunch of different things too on the packing slip. For example, like, did you love your order? If so, we'd love for you to talk about it or give us feedback or send a picture via our social media. So here are all the social media links and hopefully converting them to social media follower along the way. So the order printer templates app has definitely been very helpful with that. Um, but yeah, I think those are the few core uh, core apps that I've used and have really have has really helped with our, our business. Awesome. So, what are the uh, plans for the remainder of this year? Like, what kind of goals do you have uh, in mind for Tiny Hands? 
I think definitely adding more different subscription products. So the one that I mentioned is called the Necklace of the Month Club. And uh, subscription products really can feel, and I mean, it is kind of like a different beast altogether mm-hmm. um, because then you're really dealing with a lot of customer um, expectations and making sure that you are giving them the best experience possible. And the way that I have it set up is people get a, mis- a mystery necklace in the mail once every two months. So you can already see what the challenges uh, are with a a setup like that because then people, they don't know what they're getting in the mail. Some of them aren't going to like the designs I make for them. Some are going to love it. Um, But then keeping, you know, retention rates now becomes a problem um, because you've got a subscription product. But I think it is still a great key to having more of that consistent income and just overall in increasing your income levels. Um, so I think the next steps would be, for example, a bracelet of the month club where the first month you get started off, you, you're started off with a, like a starter set. So you get the bracelet, the chains, and you get one charm. And then for the next 11 months, you get 11 different charms. Um, and I think there are different change. There's specific changes I could make to the existing club that would make it more effective. Um, but I think that's, you know, doing more social media, getting more press mentions. That's kind of always an ongoing thing. But for the most part, because as I mentioned before, um, the business pretty much runs by itself, freeing me up time to pursue other business ventures. But it's definitely with all the press mentions, with all of the social media and the brand awareness that I've been able to accomplish that has definitely helped make this whole marketing thing pretty much hands off for me. So I still get sales daily, even though I don't really do anything <laughs> to get those sales. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's definitely the dream. That's awesome. So, you know, thanks so much, May. So tinyhandsonline.com, again, T-I-N-Y-H-A-N-D-S-O-N-L-I-N-E.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out, they want to follow along with what you're up to? Yeah, so I love talking shop. So I document a lot of the things that I try out on Tiny Hands on my separate business. It's called creativehiveco.com. So you can find blog posts and articles and free email courses that you can get that kind of walk you through step by step on, for example, how to get more press, how to do your prices, how to set up your Shopify store. (laughs) So um, definitely check that out. That's at creativehiveco.com. Awesome. You will link all that in the show notes as well. Again, thanks so much for your time, May. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Felix. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.